Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Olivia DeBercier. And I'm Sophia Osborne. And if you want to support the show, check out our merch store at etsy.com slash shop slash beyondblathers to see the stickers, postcards, and sticker sheets we have for sale. So this week, Sophia is going to tell us about the sea slug, which is another one I'm actually really surprised we haven't done yet. Yeah, I'm surprised too. They're so beautiful and iconic and diverse, and there's a lot to talk about with them. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be doing this episode today. We're together in person in Vancouver, so it feels apt to do a cool marine animal and To be fully transparent, the reason that I chose the sea slug was that I was actually wondering if there was a regular slug in the game, like a terrestrial slug, because there was this gap under my door to my apartment, and these big slugs were like coming into my apartment, into the living room and kitchen, and my roommate and I were just having to deal with it, and it was gross, and it made me hate slugs. (laughs) So I thought that maybe if I learned about slugs like how we did with the wasps and stuff, then maybe I would come to appreciate them and hate them less. But then my landlord fixed the issue with the door, and I also realized that there aren't any terrestrial slugs in the game. But there are sea slugs, so I thought let's talk about them because they're cooler anyway, I think. And I don't know. I would like it if they came and visited my apartment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I would have to come visit if they were here. They are pretty exceptional. Yeah, and we do have the snails episode too. That's true. Which is a really fun one if you haven't listened to that. Yeah, that one's great. So let's talk about what Blathers would say if you bring a sea slug to him. So he'll say in the game, Imagine, if you will, a land slug, but one dressed in frilly attire full of bold colors, stripes, and spots. That is the sea slug, a gastropod that looks ready to walk the red carpet or perform beneath the big top. But these clowns are no laughing matter, eh what? Their garish colors and wild patterns warn predators to steer clear of their stinging, toxic taste. And that is how you dress for success, as they say. Yeah, I love this description by Blathers. It's very cute. They are very fashionable animals. They're kind of giving Harry Styles concert (laughs) or something. Very frilly. Yes, very frilly and bright and colorful. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get into it. But first I wanted to talk a bit about what sea slugs actually are because really sea slug is a common name that encompasses a bunch of different marine animals that look like slugs. Like basically if they look like a slug, in the ocean, some people will call them sea slugs. <laughs> so most of the animals we think of as sea slugs are gastropods in that they're marine gastropod mollusks. So basically they're sea snails who have either lost their shell or they have a really reduced or internal shell. So they look to us like they don't have a shell. When we think of sea slugs, we usually think of nudibranchs and they do fall under this category. We're going to focus mostly on nudibranchs for this episode. But the name sea slug is also often given to sea butterflies and sea angels, which we've talked about in another episode, as well as the sea hares, sacoglossins, head shield slugs, and bubble snails, amongst others. All very cool names. I was going to say, those all intrigue me. Like, I want to Google image every single one of those things right now. Yeah, I love... 
any sort of sea name. Like, it's just very cool. Yeah, like a sea hare. What is that? I assume like a sea slug, but it has like little bunny ears. Um, I got to search it up. Sea hares. Oh my gosh, I'm basically right. Yeah, I feel like maybe we've talked about these in a different episode, maybe. I don't know. They 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 kind of look a lot more like snails. Like they have those kind of like horns. Yeah, and they're, I don't, I feel like all these images fail to clarify to me what this animal actually looks like because it all looks like generic like ocean mush. <laughs> yes, which I think is kind of a good way of summing up sea slugs. <laughs> generic ocean mush. <laughs> And sometimes sea cucumbers will also be called sea slugs because they do look slug-like, but these are not gastropods. They are echinoderms like sea stars that we've talked about before. So really, the takeaway is that sea slug is a common name that encompasses a lot of interesting and very cool-looking animals. For this episode, I want to focus on nudibranchs, so let's talk a bit about their taxonomy. So nudibranchs are an order of gastropod mollusks, and there are actually over 3,000 identified species. But I will caveat that by saying it seems like there are actually probably way more species than this. There's this researcher, Terry Goslinger, who is the senior curator of invertebrate zoology and geology at the California Academy of Sciences. And he seems to be like the nudibranch guy. He has a pretty cool website and is kind of cited in a lot of articles. And he has identified over 1,500 of the current species. Wow. So yeah, it's like over half. And I was, yeah, I was looking at his website and he says that his lab is focusing on documenting biodiversity as kind of one of their projects. And that approximately 40 to 60% of the species that have been collected from tropical regions are undescribed species. And so currently members of his lab are describing many of the species right now. So basically there are lots of new species being identified as we speak. Oh, that's very exciting. I'd love to see what one of their like identification keys look like because that's what I've been shoving my nose in for the past little while. And I find it's kind of interesting to see what other people identify with such different animals and like insects and things. Yeah, that's interesting to think about. In terms of taxonomy, the species are mostly divided into two groups, the dorids and aeolids. The dorids typically have a smooth, thick mantle or outer skin, and they're more just thick and flat. To me, they look a lot more like traditional slugs, and they usually have this plume of exposed gills on their back, kind of near their, I guess, butt, or like what you would think would be their butt. (laughs) Which almost look like little tentacles or even feathers. Like, I think a plume is the right word for them. Mm. The other group, the aeolids, are usually thinner, and their backs are covered with serrata, which are appendages that also function as gills and as part of their digestive system. Serrata are so cool, and they can look wildly different. Some look a lot like tentacles, like sea anemones, but then they can also look like like tree branches or like snowflake arms or like bird wings or dragon wings. I think this is a really hard one to have as just like an audio (laughs) episode because they are so cool and like I wish I could have a slideshow of pictures right now. But you should definitely look some up or like go on our Instagram. We'll definitely post a bunch of cool ones on there. But basically they are just like wild and cool. 
That's so cool. They sound like shapeshifters. Like if they can be like birds and trees and anemones, yeah. <laughs> like all of these different things. I'm imagining like when I think of a nudibranch, I think of like a slug with like an anemone sitting on its head kind of look. Is that sort of what you, you mean? Like they can like literally look things. so different. Like some of them will sort of look like, yeah, like a long anemone or something with tons of little like tentacly things sticking up. But then some of them look like dragons wow. or like, like I literally saw one that looks like a snowflake. Some of them can, sometimes the uh, serrata can look like almost like pustules. Like some of them oh. look like they're like mold or like some kind of like algal growth on kelp. Like they can look so different. But then I find it cool that like this is the same structure mm-hmm. that's on all of them, but it's just kind of like displaying in different ways, which is so cool. That's so neat. It's like a little like multi-tool. Yeah. And they're important for them because they're like these gills and parts of their digestive system. And as you can see, having exposed gills is a big part of being a nudibranch. And those that word nudibranch actually means naked gill. So it's right there in the name that that's an important part of their physiology. That's super cool. So how big are they? If they've got this much variation with these amazing serrata, do they also have a lot of variety in their size? Yeah, exactly. They can really vary in size. Like I was, um, there's this this marine detective who works off uh, the coast of BC here. And she had some, like, she's an amazing wildlife photographer, like, underwater photographer. And she had some amazing photos of, like, the tiniest little nudibranchs that looked like almost like little bacteria or something on kelp. Because, yeah, they can vary from four millimeters, which is less than a quarter of an inch. That's almost like you can't see that. To up to 60 centimeters or 23 inches, which is, like, a couple feet. (laughs) So they can really vary in size. One of the largest nudibranchs is the famous Spanish dancer, which I love the name of. It makes me think of the like emoji of the woman dancing. Like a flamenco dancer. <laughs> yeah, the flamenco dancer emoji, which is one of my favorite emojis. I love that one. And these Spanish dancers can get up to that maximum size of 60 centimeters or 23 inches, which is almost two feet. And they're this bright blood red Their scientific name is Hexabranchus sanguinis, which means blood-colored six gills. And I was actually reading this great article from Hakai Magazine by Amarina Kingdon, where she opens with this story. Quote, William Savile Kent, the Commissioner of Fisheries for Western Australia, was exploring the Houtman Arbolos Islands for their pearl farming potential in 1894, when he spotted what he thought was a sheep slung floating in the ocean. An organ sloshing around in the surf was not entirely outlandish. Workers at that remote island's guano mining station regularly killed sheep for food and tossed the offal. And the blood-red, footprint-sized object was frilly, reminding him of a lung. Being an avid naturalist, Savile Kent watched it drift about the jetty for a few moments. He soon recognized it as a large nudibranch, one of a group of shallowest mollusks that live in seas around the world. So that is the Spanish dancer that he saw there. 
which is pretty cool. And yeah, I do think it looks like a huge deflated organ or something. Yeah, looking at a picture of it, I'm like not surprised he thought that. But also I think that's so funny. Like his mind was like, looks like a sheep's lung. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. Uh, Whatever. Obviously he's seen a sheep's lung in his life. Yeah. So what that would be. And it's so big, I don't think you would think that it was like a sea slug. Yeah, yeah. It's it's weird when you find like really ambiguous looking things in nature and you're like, is did a person make that or was is this like a mold or something I'm looking <laughs> at? And sometimes it can be really hard to tell. So where can nudibranchs be found? They're found all over the world, which is so cool. I know you can find them here in British Columbia, as I talked about. But they literally range from the Arctic to the Antarctic. They live in salt water, although there are a few species who can live in brackish water. Another interesting thing about them is that they can be found in all kinds of different depths in the ocean. The greatest diversity is in shallow, warm reefs, which is the case for a lot of marine animals. Mm -hmm. But they have been found at depths near 2,500 meters or 8,200 feet. Usually they're benthic animals, which means you find them on the the bottom of the ocean. So usually they're kind of wandering around on the substrate. But there are a few species which can be found swimming around in the middle of the water column. And then there's also the Glaucus atlanticus, which I think is such an iconic nudibranch. And it can be found floating upside down at the water's surface. So these Glaucus atlanticus are also sometimes called blue sea dragons. And I think this is the perfect name for them. They're so beautiful, and they have these appendages that look like the most amazing wings. So that's one of the interesting serrata I was talking about. Like, you would not kind of think that those were the same thing because they look like they're supposed to kind of be arms or wings. So these guys basically have a gas-filled sack that lets them float on the ocean's surface and ride the currents. But because of the placement of the sack, they float upside down. And they have really cool countershading, which is something we've talked about in previous episodes they have a blue foot that faces like up and then a silver back that faces down so they it provides them camouflage whether they're seen against the sky or the water protecting them from predators under them and over them and so i was like wow that's really cool lots of cool facts well a really cool fact about these guys is they are able to feed on the extremely venomous portuguese man of war because they're immune to the venomous nematocysts that they have like how cool is that that's amazing yeah and they actually almost exclusively feed on portuguese man of war which is very cool like i don't know that that that's very impressive to me yeah and they're like not that big no they're small so i mean it's not like they're like killing the portuguese man of wars they'll eat little chunks of them (laughs) and then they store the most venomous nematocysts at the tip of their own serrata so then they can use it against their future prey how the turntables seriously (laughs) and then even more wildly because the blue sea dragon concentrates the venom they can actually produce a more powerful and deadly sting than the man of war. Yeah. (laughs) Excuse me? It's so funny. So basically, if you see one of these... Like, don't don't, touch it. Yeah, don't pick it up. I I, I saw a picture of someone holding one, and I was like, oh, are you okay? Yeah, that sounds really painful. Yeah, because, yeah, it feels a lot apparently like how a Portuguese man of war sting feels. 
but yeah, this this adaptation of kind of stealing the like nematocyst from another from like a, another prey is actually not an uncommon defense tactic for many nudibranch species. And this is important because yeah, they they don't have shells as we talked about like they're mollusks but they don't have shells and that's for mollusks that's an important adaptation to have those shells. So they have to kind of do other things for defense and this is one of the things that they do. And they also, you know, have their amazing coloring, which is mostly there to warn predators that they taste really gross and are pretty toxic. So yeah, a lot of nudibranchs emit toxic compounds that they either produce themselves or in some cases extract from their prey, like in this case with the blue sea dragon. And yeah, it's it's kind of like a trade-off because not having a shell does give them better maneuverability and makes it easier for them to hunt. And it's a lot of energy to build a shell also. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, it seems like they're really making do. So what are they hunting besides the Portuguese man wars in the case of that one species? Yeah, so all known nudibranchs are carnivorous and they can feed on all kinds of small marine things and I guess also big, potentially big marine things as well like sponges, tunicates, barnacles, anemones, other sea slugs, and even sometimes they will cannibalize members of their own species. Ooh, yikes. They're pretty they're pretty intense. Yeah. I was not expecting this. I kind of assumed that they would eat like algae or something. Yeah. Something slimy like they are, which I guess kind of they are. So how do they reproduce? They're slugs or well, not slugs. They're gastropods, so I assume they have some really funky reproduction methods. Yeah, they're all hermaphroditic, and so they produce both sperm and eggs, but they can't fertilize themselves. So here's another great quote from that Hakai article that explains how they reproduce. Quote, Their genital openings are located just behind their heads on the right side of their bodies, so doing it nudibranch style usually means lining up like two people shaking hands. Mating involves a two-way exchange. They mutually extend their penises and exchange sperm, leaving both animals with fertilized eggs. Retracting the penis after mating might be more strenuous than you would think. One species, Chromoterus reticulata, doesn't even bother. It sheds the extended part of its penis after each congress, wow. possibly because it takes less energy than reeling it back in. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love the the verb reeling it back in. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's fascinating. Evocative. What a cool thing. Yeah. And then, you know, once they actually mate and their eggs hatch, in most species of nudibranch, their larvae actually do have small shells which they shed when they grow into adults. And actually, I read that ocean acidification can be pretty devastating for nudibranchs because their larvae have these shells that are weakened by the acidification. And also on that topic of conservation, I read that ocean warming is changing nudibranch distribution, which we do see with a lot of animals. That's kind of par for the course in the ocean, in the warming ocean. Now, I know I said I was going to focus on nudibranchs for this episode, but I kind of wanted to end with talking about a different type of sea slug because it's kind of taking the world by storm right now. Like if Ooh. you sort of look up sea slug science right now, you'll see a lot about this particular type of sea slug. And it's these two species of Sacoglossin sea slug, which are able to undergo 
extremely intense regeneration, like super interesting regeneration. So I briefly mentioned Sakoglossins when I was talking about the many types of sea slug, but let's talk a bit about what these animals are because they're also very cool. So Sakoglossins are also called solar-powered sea slugs because they live by ingesting the cellular contents of algae. Some Sakoglossins simply digest the fluid, which they suck from the algae, but in some other species, the slugs will actually use living chloroplasts from the algae they eat within their own tissues so they like take it in and sequester it and then use it to photosynthesize and that's how they're producing like energy and sugars and stuff yeah like that's how they survive that is that is the most insane thing i've ever read yeah it's super (laughs) cool and very unusual like it's like they're eating battery packs yeah (laughs) like i read that only protists do this Wow. Like this is like the the yeah they're it's really weird to have something like this complex of an animal doing this. Dang, I keep doing like an Owen Wilson like wow, <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is a very wow episode. <laughs> so that's already extremely weird and interesting. But then two scientists from Japan's Nara Women's University, Sayaka Mito and Yaoichi Yusa, have found that two species of these sacoglossins can fully pop their heads off and regrow their entire bodies. Whoa. Just from their head. So, like, they will grow a new body from their head down. That's insane. And they can do this whole regeneration process in just a couple of weeks. And, like, it's not entirely unusual to hear about regeneration. There are quite a few animals that can regenerate, like, a lost tail or a limb or something. But regenerating your entire body is pretty unheard of. The slug's head can survive on its own for weeks thanks to their ability to photosynthesize and the original decapitated body can also go on living for days or even months without their heads. Wait, (laughs) does that mean it could still like mate and stuff? The body doesn't. Like, Okay. The head. Oh, because the genital openings were like by the head, right? Yeah, and I think it's like, it it seems like it kind of just, the body just stays alive, but it doesn't. Oh, okay. It's not like. It can't like move around. Yeah, it's not like it doesn't regenerate the head. Like it Got doesn't it. become a new one. It just kind of stays alive. But then Whoa. the head one can become a whole new. That's intense slug. So Mito, the lead author of this paper and a doctoral student at the university, said, quote, we believe that this is the most extreme form of autonomy and regeneration in nature, which is huge. And also the story of how Mito discovered this is so cool. She saw one of these slugs with its head and body separated and she was like, oh no, that's too bad that it died. <laughs> and like, Aww. oh, it's, it's, it's passing away. But instead she watched it starting to regenerate its body. And then after around three weeks, the slug had finished regrowing its entire body. Oh my gosh. And had replaced like 80% of the original body, including its vital organs that it had lived without. Like it didn't have those vital organs for quite a while and was staying alive. Obviously not very vital. (laughs) Don't really need them. And she noticed that the original body part was still alive, but it didn't generate a new head as as we talked about. So just absolutely wild. Real question here. Now for this study, did they just have to go around like chopping the heads off of all their I think slides? they did. I think that's oh, what they so did. Oh, so much paperwork. <laughs> um, because, yeah, I was reading kind of more about it. Like 
the researchers found that only younger slugs were able to regenerate. (laughs) So the older ones would just survive as heads for a while, but they wouldn't regenerate, Um, which is interesting. So they think like once they're kind of past reproductive age, it's not really beneficial to... Interesting. Yeah. And then also they... It seems like they did this to the slugs multiple times because they said that they had one slug that was able to regenerate twice, (laughs) but they weren't able to get it to do it more times than that. Science can be dark. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of dark. But yeah. But that's a really interesting discovery. I mean, that can be pretty major. Yeah. So right now they've found two species of Sacoglossin that can do this, but they're like investigating to find out if more can. Oh, watch so, out. Yeah. <laughs> Sea slugs going to get your, <laughs> get the guillotine. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was just so cool. And I wanted to end on that really interesting study and like interested to find out what comes with it. They think they're also trying to figure out, you know, what's causing this, but they think it's probably stem cells. So could have some cool like medical yeah um, potential potential as well. So yeah, very cool. They're just like oh no. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> just gonna grow a new body. I wish that were me. Yeah, it's like sucks to suck. <laughs> Can't grow a new body. <laughs> well, that was just like a plethora of really interesting facts, and now I just want to go watch YouTube videos of like these incredible creatures and. Look at how weird they look. Like, ah, man, I'd love to see one of these in real life. I don't actually think I've even seen any in aquariums. Do you do you know if you've seen any? I can't really like not memorably, but mm. I know that they are at aquariums. And they I, must be. I think you can even get them for personal aquariums. Probably. Um, they might be one of those things where like in aquariums they're usually like chilling at the bottom that you don't really notice them unless you're really looking. Yeah, because they usually are on the substrate. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, they, and some of them can be really small, but yeah, I mean, if you go scuba diving and stuff, like you should be able to see them or snorkeling, I guess, and reefs, even yeah, scuba diving here off the coast of BC. Mm-hmm. But I haven't, yeah, I haven't memorably seen any. Yeah, well, thanks so much, Sophia, and thanks everyone for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beyond Blathers and check out our TikTok at Beyond underscore Blathers. And don't forget to take a look at our shop update at etsy.com slash shop slash Beyond Blathers. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye. Bye. Bye.